we believe that the last eight to 10 years with the fintech boom that we have seen, I think that that's only the first few innings of the of the game. There's many more to come in terms of how deeply technology, be it cloud, data, and AI now, or mobile, impact the products and services that a bank like City delivers to its clients and customers. Hello, and welcome to the CBC Unplugged podcast from GCV. I'm Fernando Moncada. Money, as they say, makes the world go round, and investments in financial services grew 40-fold in the decade between 2011 and 2021, from around $6 billion to nearly $240 billion. That is a huge leap, but according to today's guest, Arvind Purushottam, the head of City Ventures, it's only the beginning. A former microchips engineer at Intel, Purushottam spent nine years at venture capital firm Menlo Ventures before moving on to one of the biggest banks in the world at Citi where he has since led investments into early stage companies, as well as incubation activities and wider innovation initiatives. The unit focuses on areas like FinTech, of course, as well as data analytics, cybersecurity, future of commerce, prop tech, and digital assets. It's safe to say that they have a wide remit from a high perch to observe what's going on at the intersection of finance and technology. In our conversation, we speak about the explosive trajectory of FinTech and how deeply it permeates every other industry, as well as City Ventures' venture building activities, the impact that the so-called crypto winter has had on the wider digital assets market, how data, which already underpins much of our economy, is only becoming more important, and much more. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to CVC Unplugged on your listening platform of choice, and above all, enjoy the show. So Arvind, it's great to have you on the show. How are you? You're, you're coming uh, to me from New York, is that right? That's right. Hi, Fernando. Great to be here. And thanks for having me. Yes, I'm traveling in New York this week. Yeah, where, where are you based usually? I'm usually based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Right. I live and work in Palo Alto most days. And we also have our office up in San Francisco. Right. And, but I guess the, uh, the, the cross-country flight is something that you have to do quite often, I would imagine. That's right. I've gotten uh, more used to it, given uh, so many of our people and colleagues are, are here in New York. And, and and how did you, so, so you're at, uh, obviously you're heading up City Ventures now, and how, how did you kind of get to that point? So tell me a bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been at City Ventures for a little over 12 years now. And prior to coming to City Ventures, I was at a venture firm called Menlo Ventures for about nine and a half years. So in total, I've been in venture for over 20, 20 21 years. And, you know, while at Menlo Ventures, I was a broader sort of technology investor. You know, Menlo used to invest in earlier stage companies, let's say Series A through Series C type of companies, and it was broader technology. You know, I started my career investing in semiconductor companies because that was, you know, closer to where I was, you know, how I was trained as an engineer. Then we looked at enterprise infrastructure and I invested in enterprise infrastructure companies. And while there, I also got involved in some financial services and fintech companies. And so those were the types of uh, investments. I led or sponsored while at um, Menlo Ventures. And then in, in 2010, around that time frame is when Citi was looking to build out its um, strategic investing program, specifically this group, Citi Ventures, and they actually wanted to base it out in Silicon Valley. So that's how I met uh, the Citi uh, folks and became interested in it for multiple reasons. One, Citi is a great platform, one of the most global banks out there, and I just felt that technology was, you know, innovation was becoming much more global. You know, it was not Silicon Valley anymore. It was going to, it was happening everywhere in the, you know, on earth. 
and city would give us city would give me at that point in time an opportunity to explore that but secondly and probably more importantly this intersection of financial services and technology you know it was technology has always been important for financial services but more as a back office thing traditionally and now it was coming to the front office and it was impacting every aspect of financial services and so that interested me tremendously and so that you know uh, helped me make the 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 jump to a city from uh, from menlo and so you know here i am and prior to business school as i mentioned i was a semiconductor engineer i started my career at intel and spent a fantastic uh, four plus years there so yeah that, that that's really interesting so you you've made kind of two very interesting jumps there so one from you know designing and kind of launching microchips at, at intel to investing as a vc at menlo and and then kind of you know going from menlo where you were a financial vc to city where you're a, a corporate vc so can, can you kind of dig into to each one of those kind of transitions uh, so so firstly what, what was it that interested you in investing in the first place to go to menlo and then what are the kind of most notable or, or interesting differences that you've realized um, exist between being a, a kind of institutional VC and a corporate VC? Great question, uh, Fernando. I think, you know, when I entered venture capital back in 2001, it was a completely new field to me. And it was actually a much younger field overall. It was a much smaller field compared to the, the world we have today. And when I was graduating from business school and I, and I was looking at career opportunities, I always wanted to do something that was entrepreneurial or that was related to startups and entrepreneurship. You know, having grown up as a as an engineer in Silicon Valley, you kind of live and breathe it, breathe breathe it uh, with your friends and with everything else going on around you. And um, and so, if it was not going to be in venture capital, I had told myself that I'd go to a fast growing company. And so, when the the folks at uh, Menlo, when I met them. It became clear to me that they had a very successful track record, track record over many decades. They were investing early, which is, you know, to me was the most interesting stage at that point. And they were interesting in areas, investing in areas that were of interest to me as well. And specifically at that point in time, Menlo was trying to strengthen their team when it came to semiconductors and uh, chips uh, and the chip industry as a whole. And so uh, that was a perfect fit. But most importantly, I think it's really about the people, the partners uh, and the non-partners that were there at the time, not just sort of the, how smart they were, but they were great people to work with, very collaborative, set up a very collegial culture for the firm uh, at that point. And that's what led me to, to, to Menlo. You know, switching from Menlo to City was an interesting transition. I joke that, you know, I came from a 25-person firm plus minus to about a 250,000-person firm plus minus. It was about four zeros added. And it was also sort of, as you point out, a strategic investing uh, program. I think I was very lucky to have had colleagues at City Ventures that sort of brought that corporate know-how, knowledge of the bank, knowledge of financial services together with sort of the investing aspect of things, right? So coming from the investing world, in terms of doing deals, the having a sense of how to build a portfolio, how to construct a portfolio, the deal dynamics, how to do diligence, all of those aspects were a strength, right? But getting deeper into financial services and really thinking about how do you make investments that are truly strategic to a large bank like City, uh, that's something that we had to figure out. 
And, and I had, you know, was lucky to have had, you know, great colleagues at City Ventures that helped us design that and, and think us, you know, think through the, the, the system and put it, put it together. And so that was uh, extremely helpful. But, you know, when we think about sort of the mandate of City Ventures, you know, trying to invest in companies and working with companies that are strategic to financial services and strategic to city, I think it became clear to, to us that, you know, the companies that are the most disruptive are and the most um, strategic to a firm like City are also the companies that ending up growing really fast and scaling non-linearly and that that's, are seeing that kind of growth. And as a venture investor, you know, we would get that kind of market intelligence. And so investing in those companies, but also more importantly, bringing them in to consider partnerships, making sure that our colleagues at City get that market intelligence of what's happening, you know, in the startup ecosystem. Those are all aspects of the strategic investing program that, that we de- developed after after we came on board with the help of colleagues that were already here. So, so how did you kind of solve that riddle then? Because something like financial services, I would imagine, I mean, a- anything you do will, will involve some kind of money changing hands, right? So how, how do you determine what constitutes as being strategic for, for a firm like City? The way we think about strategic investing, you know, if you think about why we have a strategic investing program fundamentally, we want to identify and partner with startups that have built emerging capabilities where we could embed those within our stack. Perhaps our tech people could become customers of those startups, or maybe our businesses can embed those capabilities within our products and services. Second aspect of it are partnerships, you know, whether it's a distribution partnership, we end up embedding a startup's product in, in our channel into clients and customers or vice versa. Those are the second thing, you know, second aspect of things. So these adjacencies and, and, and partnerships, product extensions, things of that nature. And last but not the least, the learning and market intelligence, which I already referenced. Uh, and that tends to be, you know, as important as the other two angles and reasons for why we, we do strategic investments. And here, you know, when we go out and meet over a thousand companies and our, our team meets over a thousand companies globally every year, we end up getting a very good view in, for example, what's happening in wealth management or what's happening in payments or lending. And we're able to put together material and, and, and put together market maps that are highly relevant to our businesses and discuss those with our business leaders. But more importantly, we actually bring those entrepreneurs to meet with the businesses so that they get direct exposure to what's happening in the field. And that ends up being very instructive and, and uh, helpful to our businesses as they think about strategy, as they think about how to, to position themselves for the years to come. And so th- those are sort of the, the ways we think about the strategic rationale for, for why we invest. And so going back to the previous point, Fernando, you know, how do you determine what which of these companies, and there are several hundreds, thousands of companies that are out there in the spaces that we invest, how do you determine what's strategic? A, it needs to be in one of our focus areas, right? So we have seven focus areas that we invest in, which we can discuss, and it needs to be in one of our focus areas. Secondly, it needs to be aligned with the business that City has and the strategic direction in which we're going. That's the point number two. And third is the financial aspect and the viability of the startup at a fundamental level. And that's in that third aspect where 
you know, our experience as a venture capital investor comes in and is important to be able to identify those startups, to be identify fundamentally even those signals in the market. And then for the first two things with respect to financial services, I mean, we, you know, given that we sit within city and, and work extensively with our colleagues uh, across the company, we get that from, from, you know, collaborating with them and making sure we understand the priorities of the bank. And, and at the time you joined uh, City Ventures, how, how familiar was City, the parent, with, uh, you know, venturing as an activity? Was there a learning curve on that side as well? That's a great question. City had been in venture capital in the past. They'd also been in other kinds of investing in the past. But when I joined, it was post the financial crisis and there were sort of newer senior members, of, you know, senior management team members across the bank. And I think the particular kind of fintech investing that we started to do after I came on board was new. And in many cases, these were fairly early stage startups. And so we had to talk to our control function colleagues, for example, our risk colleagues, our, our banking regulation colleagues, people like that about what this was all about and why, for example, in the early days, I got a question from one of our senior risk people this company has almost no revenue and it's valued at $30 million. Why is this company valued at $30 million? Because it's, you know, a slide deck and four people who have founded this company. And so we had to go through, you know, how sort of that early stage venture world works, how valuation is determined in the earlier stages, how valuation gets determined in the later stages, and so on and so forth. And then we sort of were able to help some of the senior members get more familiar with sort of the, the venture capital ecosystem and the venture venture market dynamics. And so some of that was new, but in terms of being an investor, and in fact, being an investor for strategic purposes, that in and of itself was not not new to City because there had been, you know, previous groups that did something similar. Mm, interesting. And was there was there some convincing that you kind of had to do then or? Because that's a, that's a bit of a common issue that a lot of new CVCs have to come across. You know how to convince one that that it's worth it, and two, you know that that you know what, what, why would we just invest in minority stakes rather than just buying a startup outright if they're strategically aligned with us, type of thing. No, Fernando, that's a great question. I don't think we had to do a lot of convincing because you know the program had already been put together, and you know I was recruited, uh, you know after that had happened. I think the, again, I was very fortunate to have many, many folks at City, whether it's in New York, people who are running these businesses or in London, who were very interested in the venture ecosystem, excited about what startups were doing and how they could potentially help City and City's clients and customers. So that's something that, you know, I was fortunate to see and, and I was, it was great to see when I met all of those folks for the first time or the first few times. I think what then needed work, of course, is how do you actually operationalize it, right? So being supportive of doing that, having an interest in working with startups is a necessary requirement, but it's not sufficient. Then you need to set up the infrastructure to actually drive partnerships, to drive commercial engagements, to have a shared understanding of what success looks like when it comes to this endeavor. And so that's where, you know, it, it takes the hard work of like getting deeper into their organizations getting deeper into their priorities, frankly, and making sure that, you know, we were talking to the right people at the right time. And also making sure that people didn't feel that they had to work with a startup that, you know, we brought to them. It is, you know, it's up to them on choosing the right startup that's uh, beneficial to their business. 
but hopefully in collaboration with us, we end up investing in the same company and partnering with the same company. And that alignment took some time to develop over the different business units. And as you can imagine, some people thought about it differently. Some businesses are set up differently than others. And so we had to navigate that in the early days. But, um, you know, we've obviously come a long way from that, from those days. Well, yes, and, and that's a good kind of segue. So, so fast forward to, to today, and, and it's been really interesting, you know, looking at the kind of recent work you guys have been doing, because uh, obviously, if you look at the wider venture world, the, the, the story of the past year, for example, has been this kind of cooling of the market, right? So while, you know, many investors are, are perhaps slowing down a bit or, or maybe focusing more on portfolio management rather than new investments, you know, to get their and, and helping their startups get through this kind of macro rough patch. You guys have kept investing at a pretty kind of prolific clip, really. I mean, I think it's, it's been at least eight investments so far this year, right? That sounds about right. I don't know if that's the exact number, but that sounds about right. What's kind of kept you guys so confident in the market? Yeah, I think it's eight investments and maybe that's a mix of both follow-on and new investments and to think of the, the two differently in the, in the way we count it. But we've had a fairly steady pace over the last few years. Fernando, the way we think about the world first is as we've scaled, we've now had more activity in other parts of the world. So we, for example, have an investor who's based in Singapore. And so we're looking at the Asia Pacific region. We've also strengthened our team more recently in Europe. And so we're getting deeper into that ecosystem over there. So as time has gone on, our investing pace has been steady, but that's partly also because we have you know, strengthened our teams and, and our presence in other parts of the world. City is a global corporation and we want to make sure, and innovation is global. So we take that to heart in, in how we think about growing this uh, program. Secondly, one of the things that we think about from an investing strategy standpoint is it's very hard to time the market, whether it's public markets or private markets. And these investments are private and illiquid investments that remain in our portfolio for many times, five, six, seven, eight years. And so we've had one year worth of cooling that happened in 2022 with sort of the NASDAQ and the broader public markets. Public market valuations have come down, multiples have come down, and all of that is true. But we take a much broader and a longer term view because A, we're you know, still on the quest to find those great companies that are highly relevant and strategic to financial services. We believe that the last you know, eight to 10 years with the fintech boom that we have seen, I think that that's only the first few innings of the, of the game. There's many more innings to come in terms of how deeply technology be it cloud data and AI now, or uh, mobile impact the products and services that a bank like City delivers to its clients and customers. So I think there are many more innings to go there. So we try to find and, and you know, we, take, we, we take a back to the fundamentals approach. Let's look at the technology, let's look at the team, let's look at the business model, obviously match that with the strategic aspect of what we do, and then make investments uh, based on that. Uh, you know, we obviously look at valuation and how we, how much we pay for these investments based on market conditions. We have turned companies down based on valuations when the, we felt the valuations were too high. So that is something that we care about and we try to have discipline over. Otherwise, following a consistent approach is important, I think. And that's something that I learned at Menlo Ventures. You know, you, you can't predict when great companies are born and when you come across great opportunities. And that's true, whether it's financially or strategically. To what extent do you feel that FinTech is, is somewhat insulated, perhaps, from the wider kind of uh, macro situation? 
Well, I mean, I think it depends on how you mean by insulated. It's not, you know, the fintech companies, especially the public market companies, companies that went public in the last two, three years have seen the impact of sort of the broader market slowdown. So in that sense that they're, they're, they're not impacted. When, but you, when you look at private markets, I think we have a belief that, you know, to my previous point, that there is so much more innovation to come in the world of fintech. Financial services is so deep and so wide that there is a, you know, sort of new technologies and new capabilities coming that not only impact all the businesses broadly, you know, whether it's in com- the consumer business or the institutional business, but it's also central technology, you know, the cybersecurity world, the data and AI and machine learning when it comes to cloud and DevOps, developer experience, marketing technology, all of those areas, but also very deep when it comes to process automation, when it comes to digitization and so on. And so I think the financial services world is going to continue to see that change regardless of what happens in public markets. Obviously, there is there are slowdowns and then there are, there's accelerating uh, scenarios and maybe we saw that slowdown kind of back of a scenario in 2022. Tell me a bit actually about your focus areas as well and, and where you see, say, like over the past few years, the biggest drivers have been in, in financial services or in, in financial technology. Absolutely. So we invest, broadly speaking, both in fintech companies as well as enterprise technology companies. Within fintech, we have four areas that we think about. One is the future of commerce. Second is broadly speaking, fintech, which includes wealth management. Third is uh, prop tech. So the whole area of real estate technology, whether it's commercial or, or residential. And fourth is you know digital assets and blockchain. So those are the four areas that we have on the financial services side. And then on the enterprise side, we have you know cybersecurity and enterprise IT. Second is data, AI, and machine learning. And then third is marketing and, and customer experience. So those are the three areas we've delineated on the enterprise side. So there are seven total area, areas in total. And I think the, the growth has been, I mean, I, I, what we have seen over the last 10 plus years that I've been here is essentially the fintech revolution coming into each of those areas within financial services. And then even on the enterprise tech side, we've seen the advent of cloud, we've seen the advent of new cybersecurity technologies. We've seen certainly the revolution that has happened in data and, and everything related to data. And so I, I think across the board, we've seen so many great companies and, and our portfolio reflects that. You know, you go to, the, the, to our web portfolio webpage, you'll see our investments across all of these different areas. I think our current focus areas tend to be more aligned with sort of things that are strategic to cities. So one of the areas we've been spending a lot of time on is wealth tech. It's an area of investment for city, and it's an area of uh, interest and, and importance for us as a strategic investing group supporting our wealth uh, management team. We have been seeing, seeing investments there and completing, you know, closing investments there even recently. We've also seen a lot of interest in prop tech. So the fintech revolution, you know, it started with things like payments and then it came to lending and then it came to prop tech. And so we have a portfolio of companies in the prop tech world which is obviously impacted by where interest rates are in the, in the last year. But, you know, over the long run, we feel is a giant, giant market that'll get the benefits of bringing digitization, automation, better user experiences and, and simplification that benefit our customers and clients. And that's another area. And then thirdly, I think the area of data, AI and machine learning, you know, we started investing in data 
and analytics technologies uh, over 10 years ago. And this is when Hadoop was still new. And it was a new stack that was being commercialized all the way to sort of higher layers of the stack now with respect to analytics, AI, and machine learning. And so those are things that we've been investing in and we have a portfolio of companies there as well. Yeah, I'd love to kind of dig a bit more into that last area. So, so, so data, obviously, you know, the story of the, the, the past few years has been the explosion in, in how, well, the continuation really, because it's always been pretty important, but, but how data has kind of become so much more important just, just, just about across the board. How has that kind of translated in financial services? You know, what, what are the biggest, perhaps not surprising, but certainly the most notable differences you've seen in how data is used in fintech? You know, that's a great question. I think, uh, Fernando, one of the things that we realized early on is just the scale of what we have when it comes to, to data. I mean, it's, it's hard to, to imagine across our institutional business, across our, you know, consumer business, and then everywhere else within the bank as well, right? So that's an important, uh, you know, important area for City Ventures and has been for a long time. The technologies that have come up, I mean, whether it's Hadoop in the early days or other types of data architecture changes that have happened over time are being slowly adopted in financial services. I'm not necessarily just talking about city, but I see this happening across the board and are being commercialized within large banks and, and financial institutions. These could be things like graph databases. These could be things like MongoDB, which were different than to sort of traditional relational databases and so on and so forth. The other aspect of data is sort of uh, event-driven sort of time series type, type of data. You know, there are all these different architectures for data that have come into enterprises in general and then starting to come into financial services as well as, you know, the benefits of those uh, technologies are, are realized and recognized. And I think these kind of technologies have a real impact for our clients, for our customers, they can have benefits in, in the way we manage the firm, how we do risk management, how do we do compliance, things of that nature. And so one of the things that we think about a lot is given sort of our strategic goals around, you know, not only supporting our businesses, but also supporting our global functions, you know, functions like finance or functions like, you know, compliance and risk, how can those data technologies come into play? You know, recently we made an investment in a company called Quantified that helps with uh, anti-money laundering. So how do they monitor the data, the transaction data that's going through that needs to be monitored? How do they make signal, you know, sense from, you know, signal from the noise and make sure that false positives are minimized? You know, those are the kinds of things that we end up uh, thinking about quite a bit and bringing into the, the firm when it makes sense. It's interesting with something like Quantified, you know, to, to what extent... Are you seeing a growing opportunity in, in risk management, right? So I think, so you have quantified and recently you also invested in security and, and am I pronouncing that right? ASIN? ASIN? Is that, is that growing faster than it has been in recent years, the risk management sub-segment? You know, the, the risk management has been important. It's, it's just how you do it, right? I mean, yes, regulations change. Yes, some of these contextual things change around us and we have to react to it, but also how we implement it and how we execute it has been changing given some of the newer technologies. Specifically with respect to data, the thing that we think about, Fernando, is the data used to live traditionally within the walls of an enterprise. Now data is everywhere. You know, it's in the cloud, it's in, on mobile devices. And there are also stricter privacy laws that are happening in different uh, jurisdictions around the world. 
So how do you make sure that we are compliant with those regulatory regimes and make sure that we do that in an efficient manner? And how do we, you know, we do that in a manner that serves our clients and customers? That's happening across the board, not just at city, but across financial services. And our investment in something like a security, you know, plays into that, right? So they are one of the leaders in how to to manage data privacy and have workflows around it and have analytics around it. Rehan is a, an entrepreneur that I, I've known for 10 plus, you know, 15 plus years um, in Silicon Valley. And we ended up really liking the solution. Our business partners also like the solution. And, you know, and we ended up becoming investors after some due diligence. And, and I think that's an example of something where, you know, the external environment is changing given, you know, focus on data privacy and companies like security and others are set up to handle those kinds of issues. And so that's when we can bring the two worlds together and make sure that we're working with the best companies. Mm. And another, you know, area where perhaps uh, risk management has become more relevant in, in the past couple of years anyway, has been in, in digital assets and, 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 and stuff like that. And then, you know, you guys have made some investments in, in digital asset and, and kind of web three architecture or what rather blockchain architecture in that space. The past year or so has been quite rough on that segment. You know, what's your outlook on that right now? You know, we've seen in the area of digital assets and crypto, you know, naturally some boom times and then some slowdowns, and et cetera. And we have now in one of those slowdown, slowdown kind of moments. I think the approach we have, we've taken is to continue to scan the horizon on what's happening in that world because it's important for financial services. And then do things that not only benefit our clients and customers, but also make the whole ecosystem safer. So, for example, we have a great company in our portfolio called TRM Labs that does analysis of chains and analysis of transactions. It helps with KYC types of processes. And so we continue to monitor the space. This is a deep technology trend that's been you know, ongoing for about 10 years, you know, from the very first time the Bitcoin paper came out and we could see a resurgence yet and it's hard to predict. But I think our approach there is to scan the horizon stay on top of the trends, and then invest and work with our internal business partners as, as needed. And for startups like TRM, does the kind of downturn in the crypto space that we're going through right now, does that, is that like a silver lining for like a compliance company like TRM? Not necessarily so. I think in, in some ways, their business is protected to the point that you're making as far as you know, needing security solutions, you know, whether the market's booming or, 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 or not. I would say like, when there's more implementation of blockchain technologies or more implementation and adoption of digital asset technologies more broadly happens, that increases the need for solutions like TRM. So they would benefit from an upswing in the environment, but they're somewhat less protected than you know, other types of companies given the nature of what they do. You're right about that. Interesting. And, and fo following from... What we were talking about earlier with, with data and its increased use in, in fintech, I suppose accelerating that trend is, is something that's been perhaps even more in the public eye recently, and that is AI and, and machine learning. But what, what's the disruptive potential for the finance markets of that technology, as you can see it at the minute? Yeah, I think uh, outside of everything that you see in the press and everything that you see in the news, I think we're still in the early phases of determining what that is. You know, is probably the fairest way to say it. You know, I think across the board, you know, people within city, whether it's city ventures or our internal business colleagues, 
are looking at it and saying, what what is you know what does this mean for financial services and for city going forward? So we're in the early phases of determining the impact, you know, for financial services. And once again, just as in the you know digital asset space, safety, security, compliance, things of that nature are paramount. And so it's hard to say more at this point. In some cases, many of our companies themselves are incorporating large language models. So we're monitoring that, where that's happening. And, and, and it's, you know, even there, I would say it's still early days. Sure, sure. So do you feel looking at your focus areas over the past five years that there have been any areas or segments that you've looked at that have kind of become more prominent when you guys are, are sourcing deals that perhaps have, have, have surprised you? I don't know if it's, I would say it surprised us. I mean, part of it is deliberate. Right. So I mentioned our interest in wealth management and wealth tech in general. So that is more driven by the being aligned with with city's strategy. Similarly, when you when we think about reg tech and, and sort of the application of new technologies and data technologies to the regulation and compliance area, that's something deliberate that we have done because it's you know important to to city and to financial services in general. And so those, you know, I would say are more deliberate and, and, and less surprising. The other thing that we monitor, of course, is are technologies getting saturated, meaning is innovation kind of slowing down or is innovation accelerating in the ecosystem? So when we're meeting these companies, you know, if you think about, let's say, lending or you think about certain areas of, you know, financial infrastructure, maybe there was this rapid acceleration of innovation. There are many, many companies that came out. They were trying different models. Some of them did better than others. And then it sort of starts to slow down. You know, there's this kind of S-curve that happens in, in innovation. And we monitor that to make sure that there's truly areas where there's a lot of innovation happening where we should be hunting, right? And so so when, you, when I think about that, there seems to be this, you know, to your question uh, directly, this renewed interest in payments. You know, we're starting to see more payments-related companies. You know, we have FedNow that's happening later this year. What does that imply? You know, the, in Europe, there's open banking and payments that are based on open banking APIs. What does that mean for the for the payments world? So there's been perhaps a resurgence there that we're looking into. And we saw that very early on, you know, 10 to, to, to 12 years ago, where there was a lot of focus on mobile payments back then. So some of that has happened over the last, you know, I would say year, year and a half. But hopefully that is clear. And, and geographically, where, where are you seeing the biggest growth areas? Referencing sort of the, the earlier comment I made about innovation being, being much more global, you know, a couple of things I would say. First of all, relative to when we first started the City Ventures program as it exists today, we, we see a lot more activity in Europe. You know, Israel was always very strong. And so that one of our first big presences outside of the U.S. was in Israel. But Europe has come on very strong. So we've, you know, increased our presence there. But perhaps the, the, the most interesting growth area as far as fintech is concerned, but also innovation is concerned, is in Asia Pacific. We see that happening across the board. India is now an extremely interesting place from a innovation standpoint, whether it's in the fintech world or it's in the enterprise technology world, we see companies there that are relevant, relevant both to, to city and to broader financial services. And in the case of India, the, the fintech companies can also serve the local market as well as serve, you know, uh, international markets. And so we're spending, starting to spend more time th thinking about the ecosystem in India. And, and it's interesting, you mentioned ecosystem, because, you know, I was very 
interested to see how City Ventures has also developed tools for, for different parts of the ecosystem, right? So if you look at, for example, I think you have a tool called Worthy for kind of professionals and then City Builder for, I think, investors. Can you explain what those are and, and the kind of thinking behind how they were created and why they were created and, and, and I suppose how they benefited the units until now? You know, Worthy and City Builder were both projects that came out of our incubation team. So we have a, we had a small incubation team at City Ventures. And the interesting thing in both uh, instances is our team identified a need that was in the market and, and felt like there were no external startups that, you know, fit the bill. In the case of City Builder, City serves a, lo- a number of state and, and municipal governments, uh, countries uh, around the globe. We have a very strong public sector business and City Builder was targeted at that ecosystem. How do emerging markets draw direct investments into the geography? Can there be a, a portal for them to showcase you know, projects that are worthy of, of investment from foreign investors. I think City Builder was born out of that. Worthy was born out of sort of the demographics here in the U.S. and and how people are thinking of upskilling themselves to improve their you know uh, earning potential. How people think about moving geographies given sort of different compensation ranges and and costs of living. And how do you help people upskill themselves to to actually have a better financial future? So the Worthy came out of that type of thinking and, 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 and research on demographics. And so those are areas that, you know, we continue to look at, you know, I think we've, at this point in time, think more about sort of external innovation and how we invest in that ecosystem and how we bring that in to partner with cities, businesses, and functions. But uh, those two uh, aspects uh, were from our incubation team. Perfect. And, and you know, I, I know we have, we have limited time left, but I wanted to ask you for the kind of benefit of, of, of any kind of founders who might be listening to, to, to our conversation here. Firstly, you know, how can they get in touch with you? And, and secondly, if, you know, if, if they were lucky enough to get in the room and, and pitch you, what, what is it that you want to hear from them? Yeah, I think the, the thing that I would want to stress to, to founders is, you know, having watched the corporate venture ecosystem evolve, I mean, it's grown tremendously and I've been watching corporate venture for 20 plus years. In fact, my, wife started her career at Intel Capital 20 plus years ago. And so I've been you know, close to that ecosystem in that sense. I think the ecosystem itself has come a long way. And GCV, for example, has been a big part of that growth in the last several years. So kudos to you guys on that. I think considering a corporate and having corporate as a part of the cap table, I think is extremely beneficial. And we see that happen you know, when you look at the data. Right. The data shows that many companies are taking, you know, capital from corporates for strategic purposes and that helps those companies. Otherwise they would not do it. I think the, the system works. City Ventures, particularly, you know, we have a very good track record in helping our companies close deals with city to help them navigate city to make sure that they can get a great shot of getting in front of the business leaders that, that are decision makers. To begin with, we're already vetting those companies with our knowledge of what's important to city and, and, and how, what our system looks like. So, you know, we increase the chances of a potential commercial engagement. And so we've always taken this approach of being very pro entrepreneur, even though we work at a large company and city has been, you know, we've been very fortunate that city has let us have that type of an approach. And so on the investment side, we 
operate like any other VC would. And then on the strategic side, we try to make sure that we can maximize chances of a, an engagement between city and the and the startup. And then going over and above that, we have a what we think of as a platform function where we try to create events and networking opportunities for companies or introductions for our companies with our client base when it makes sense. And that turns out to be important for the startups in our portfolio. So I think in that way, we've you know tried to be value-added investors even over and above the, the city relationship, be very supportive investors. We understand how the ecosystem works. We understand how startups operate and the venture ecosystem operates. So we've been able to design our system and, and have an approach that fits within those boundaries. And so to, to startups, and I think especially early stage startups, especially if you're in fintech or you're, you know, you're building a company in the enterprise space that sells to large enterprises, we can be extremely helpful. We can bring you that perspective of how a large bank like us would think about it, whether from a financial product standpoint or even from an enterprise tech standpoint. Our tech spend is eight or $10 billion a year. We have amazing people and great leaders and experts that sit within those functions. And for the right opportunities, we can end up making those introductions, even as a feedback session, even if the company is not ready to sell to a large company like City. And so engage with us early. We tend to have sustained contact with a company over you know, many months or sometimes years before we actually invest, but we end up helping some of these companies even before an investment. And so uh, that's what I would advise uh, startup entrepreneurs. And what do you want to hear from them in a pitch? And what do you definitely not want to hear from them? Well, you know, I hear from a pitch, I mean, I, I, I speak for myself. Personally, I always, you know, as an engineer, want to know how something works. So what is it that you're building and how does it work? And, and I build my understanding of a company and the prospects of the company based on that. Technology is important. Technology differentiation can be important. But especially in fintech or sometimes even in enterprise tech, that's not the end all be all. How have you constructed your solution? What, what problem do you think this solves? How widespread of a problem is it? Because that informs the market size. And those are the tech kinds of things that I focus on, especially the market size, because there are many things you can change in the trajectory of a startup. But one of the things you can change is what's happening in the market environment. So that ends up being important there. And so start with those things, the value proposition, how it works, you know, why does it work and why has the problem not been solved so far in the world? And, and then you go from there. Great. And, and on, the, on the corporate side of stuff, I guess, was what, what can corporates do a better job of or do more of to better help their, their startup ecosystem? I think, Fernando, I sort of, uh, you know, addressed this in, in a short, short while ago, right? I think corporates have come a long way in understanding that so much of the innovation that happens in the tech world happens in the world of startups. You know, it's in, incumbents obviously innovate, but so much venture capital is now available at that, you know, the startup world is where, you know, perhaps majority of the, the innovation happens. And now it's happening in fintech. Of course, enterprise tech grew up that way, I would say. And so having a unit like ours, being out there, scoping the, the landscape, bringing those learnings back, bringing those capabilities back, I think is an extremely important strategic initiative. It can be if it's designed right. You obviously need to have a certain amount of scale to be able to do this like City does or some of the other larger companies do. But if you can do it, I think it's, a, you know, it's an important aspect of how that feeds into strategy. Large companies have always had 
strategic functions that think about sort of biggest strategy, if you will, right? It's it's about markets and market sizes and what's happening dem- demographically and what's happening in different regions and the profitability of your businesses and things of that nature. But what about technology? Now, technology is coming into every industry. It's disrupting many industries. So how do you take that input into the strategic process? And that's something that we think about a lot. And, and a function like ours and a team like ours can be that valuable you know, data and information that can feed into the how a company thinks about strategy. Well, following from that then, and to close things off, well, what is next for City Ventures? Where, where do you hope, you know, if, if you're looking back two years from now, what do you hope to have achieved? Well, I think, you know, from, from the, the interesting thing about our world, Fernando, is there are always newer technologies coming up. There are newer geographies to explore. There are newer initiatives within city that we get engaged with. So there's always something new that's that's going on. And and our goal is to, you know, continue to be a, a an important player, continue to create that great sort of corporate venture team in the the world in the in financial services, and serve the serve the strategic needs of the enterprise. And I think, you know, enhancing that impact is w- w- something that we think about internally. How do we enhance the impact of what we deliver to city? and externally continue to be a great partner for startups and to venture capital firms. That's the goal. Well, best of luck to you on that, Arvind. It was an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. And I look forward to you know keeping in touch and, and, and seeing what you guys do next. So but thank, thanks again for, for joining me today and, and have, have a good one. Thanks a lot, Fernando. And thanks, thanks to GCV and for all the work that you do. Appreciate you having me on today. That was it for this week, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to not miss out on any upcoming episodes. I have been Fernando Moncada, and our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from Inner Production. You can go check out his work today at innerproduction.com. We'll be back again next Monday. Until then, have a good one.